Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 232, recorded live in Big Dog Studios. This show is brought to you by... You know what I hate? I hate going and clicking on the search engine and entering terms in and finding all these big companies that own all the search terms. Fact is, you can get it there. You can get your company there in a different way. Mudpod Design can help you out. See them for SEO services at mudpoddesign.com. Welcome, fellas. I'm so, so glad to have you here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> it is, it's been a really strange time, hasn't it, over the last few months? It has been an unusual time in history. Yes. It yes. Has. And it is, although it's very foreign to many of us here now today, but it is not something that was foreign to Southern culture, is it? Not at all. Um as far as having to go back to the basics, getting back to your roots, um, looking, you know, becoming more independent in your ability to make your home remedies and healthcare choices. Nope. This is the way it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, that's something the Northern culture hasn't, had to the same extent. I mean, there's been plenty of times where times were tough. You know, Minnesota, deep winter, you're on your own for months on end, sure, but it's not the same as what we're going through now. Right. Not at all. And uh, like like everybody else, I'll be glad when we've settled into our new norm, because I think it's going to be totally new, and almost everything is going to be done in a different way now. It's really going to change society and change healthcare and change how we do herbalism and how we teach herbalism. And it's going to change how doctors do this. Yeah. Yeah. I think it really, and I think it's a long time coming. I think it's an important Mm -hmm. change that we're making. I wish that it didn't have to go be thrust upon us in this fashion, shall we say, but here we are. And, you know, it, 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 it will hopefully bring better. Hopefully. So you have a leg up on many of us in that you grew up right there in the woods, right? Did. I did. Um, my uh, dad's family were wild crafters and herbalists. So that was, I mean, I just grew up doing this. I read the I read your book Southern Folk Medicine, which is everybody should read it. It's a really good book. And one Thank you. Of, one of the stories I loved in there was um, the ginseng hunting. And mm-hmm. is it sang the sang sang sang? Okay, because I'm like I know I'm not pronouncing that right. Sang sang sang. Don't even try, honey. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not gonna get it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> My parents going to be looking at me later laughing because I'm going to be trying to say that over and over until I get it. And I probably still won't. <laughs> so what is the, what is it like to be doing that? Oh, wow. Okay. So it is, for, for me at that time period in my life, it was family time to start with because it's not something you did alone. It's like the <clears throat> whole group of us met and, you know, part of the family went off to the woods and the other part of the family stayed home and cooked. And, um, 
got ready for the hunt, sang hunters to come back home. Um, it is, so it was like this really family unity time. And um, I was the oldest of my siblings, so I got to go out nice. um, with parents and grandparents and um, be part of all this uh, at a very early age. I mean, I was out running around the woods with them when I was about, I don't know, six, five, six, seven. Uh, not seriously trying to help until I was about 10 um, and didn't feel halfway proficient until I was about 16, 17, 18, I guess. And there's snakes. If it doesn't have <laughs> the berry on it, which is a real, you know, signature that that red berry, um, then it's not super noticeable on the forest floor. Yeah. Uh, it kind of blends in with everything else. So, uh, number one, I love going just because it was my, me, my dad, my granddad, great aunts, great uncles. You know, these were all my grandfathers, sisters, or brothers, or brother-in-laws. Um, you know, so it was like extended family time. And, and I could run between one and the other going down the mountain, and everybody was kind of spaced out, but within general visual or shouting distance, you know, uh, looking for patches, uh, wild patches. And then there were some patches that were, uh, trying to think of the right word, farmed is the wrong word because they weren't really touched, but wild patches that were nurtured, that's the good word, nurtured. Um, so that year after year, we could come back to them and gather a few and replant the seeds in the ground where we dug and, and uh, so that the patches continued. Um, so, um, so that was number one. It was just like a great family time in the woods. And, you know, and then we didn't take water with us because we weren't afraid to drink out of the creeks and springs. <laughs> and I would not do that now, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, because there just wasn't any pollution and not a lot yeah. of industry. There was almost no industry and uh, no no big cattle farms. Um, you know, industry that would, farm industry that would pollute the water. No. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and we might take a a biscuit and jelly or a sausage biscuit that um, mother had made or grandmother made, and that was your snack and your lunch until you got back home. And we tried to go early in the morning, and we usually done late lunch time because it just got too hot and miserable in the woods. And, Everybody was ready to go home, and then we would get back home, and we'd have this big family, giant family meal. You know, there might be 25, 30 people um, eating after the ginseng hunt. And then there would be storytelling about, I ran across this in the woods, and I ran up on this snake in the woods, and oh, I found another chimney in the woods. So, you know, so there'd be storytelling, and then everybody would kind of build their home um, before supper time. Um, so it was just a neat, super neat family time. It was also a very serious time because this was our, this was, this was also, you know, money. Yeah. This was 
the other way the ginseng was how are you going to pay the electric bill in the winter and have so it was the cash crop right and um it was serious and it was serious that you didn't want to gather at all you wanted to save some for next year so you keep coming back and it was serious that you needed to find new patches and needed to extend your territory just so you'd be able to do that um so you'd have that kind of cash money coming in for the winter time with you know so it was also serious work at the same time it was and it was also you know i have to say independent work you were in the woods and you weren't beholding to anybody to pay your wages this was kind of a big deal too i'm not even sure i can explain that well it's like it was you and the land and what you dug and your abilities and your skills and <clears throat> availability and all those things already rolled into one, but it was you. It wasn't, it was you in, in the plants. It was you in yeah. the woods. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it's your relationship with the plants that's feeding and sustaining you. That's right. And it, and it was like, way more independent than working in a factory or working in a restaurant uh, you know where your livelihood was dependent upon somebody else's skills and their ability to keep the business going and their ability to sell the product right. it was you it was you and it was, so there was this feeling of i mean independence we're ginseng hunters you know yeah we were we were independent well, and it also, I mean, the plants, you can count on them, but economy, not always, you know, restaurants, not always. restaurants go no. out of business, factories lay people off, you know, things, industry goes up and down and up and down, sometimes unpredictably. And it, and it so. does, but, but there was this other aspect to it that about the independence of, you know, kind of the gruff Appalachian economy. So you don't want to be beholden to anybody. Right. So we're. Right. So there was this kind of feeling of yeah. um, I, I pride, maybe. not it's not even pride. I, I don't it just this. Yeah, it's something that's uh, crazy intangible. Yeah, it's almost, yeah, it is almost intangible, but it, it has to do with with, you know, why it would have been better to to have made the liquor and be a bootlegger than it was to go work in the factory. You were working for yourself. You were independent. It was you. Yeah. Um, and you weren't beholding anybody and weren't taking charity from anybody. It was you and your relationship to your own work, yeah. um, whatever that might be in the mountains. Um, so it was that way with kind of ginseng hunting. It was your independence. Um, and uh, if you worked hard enough and gathered enough ginseng, you could have enough to live on through the winter and you could take it easy right yes. <laughs> you know? right you i mean it's not like you had a lot of money you still everybody was still canning and freezing food and still rabbit hunting and squirrel hunting and stuff like that um but um you could you could pay those bills that uh, required money you could and you could buy flour and coffee and cornmeal and sugar and the things that you couldn't grow. Yeah. Um, right. So you had money for that. And then spring rolled around and you could do something else. You know? Yeah. It sounds, honestly, to some extent, it sounds kind of heavenly. I mean, 
You know? It was a lot of hard ass work. Let me yeah. tell you. Right. Really that was. romantically it sounds heavenly, but that would and be romantically it sounds heavy. Practically, you're working your butt off all the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, with all that work, what what drew you into studying plants? I mean, that's a lot of work. Well, you know, and I wasn't immediately, immediately in my youth, um, you know, because it was like something my dad did. Well, you know, he worked construction sites. You know, he was just a construction worker, too. You know, he still had to have something else to go with it. Um, and herbalists didn't get paid in those days in this area. It, it was your calling. You did it. You didn't get paid if they had something they might give you, you know, in trade. You know, a lot of squash came my way in the early days. Um, uh, but, you know, you didn't get paid. Um, so you, so everybody, unless you had a doctor in front of your name. So here's kind of the difference between what my family did and what an herb doctor was. Because we had herb doctors in the area, too. And they had doctor in front of their name. Uh, they weren't. <laughs> physicians um you know by any means but they were more of the eclectic i think they were kind of remains of the eclectic physicians that ended up hanging around in the south forever and ever i mean because really eclectic medicine started in the south um and then kind of spread to other places um so, I mean, the first medical school in Alabama was an eclectic medical school in eclectic Alabama. I mean, that's the name of the town. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> um, so, um, so we had herb doctors who were, um, I, I maybe had gone to a naturopathic kind of college somewhere, but, or, but studied eclectic medicine too and you know one of my first herb books was an eclectic medical book because they were people just had them in their houses i mean uh, uh, eclecticism was very very influential on southern folk medicine and southern folk medicine helped start eclecticism you know eclectic medicine so there was this it filtered over into folk medicine so you could be an herb doctor and there was one in town you know, in addition to um, to conventional medical doctors who also might prescribe herbs and certainly prescribe dietary measures, um, but also use medicines and could get in the hospital, right? Had right. privileges in the hospital. You know, there was an herb doctor, and then there was like my grandmother, the midwife, folk herbalist. So those sort of different um, statuses, I guess you would say, really disappeared in the 70s was mm -hmm. the last I had, maybe late 70s, the last I heard of a herb doctor around anywhere. Um, just because the conventional medicine gained, gained such a hold on um, healthcare in this country. Big shit. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was actually such a good thing, but not having well i am a def, definitely have an integrative bent because i can see what it would be like without antibiotics and i did see what it was like without antibiotics mm -hmm. um and 
we do need some medicines and sometimes we need a skillful surgeon to do things. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do believe there's a place where we can meet and like COVID-19, um, this virus is becoming a place um, where this is happening. I have heard physicians say, um, actually I heard a nurse at the uh, the next big town over, which has got a huge hospital, say this is the first time in her career they were using drugs and IV nutrients at the same time. Never, so never before. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, so this is you know this is where they're finding that vitamin C, vitamin A, vitamin D status is just really important. And so you know, it's it's becoming standard as we move into conventional treatment of COVID-19, the people getting IV vitamin C, that's never happened. Right. That's not happened. And I don't know how many, 50 years or something. Yeah. I don't know. So, and just the fact that all this information is hitting the airwaves about the use of herbs during COVID and the helpfulness, it's working into conventional medicine. Yeah. Um, at least the awareness. So, so this integration, I'm hoping, will continue. I'm hoping, and, and it's, get better. Yeah, I'm hoping that we start seeing. I don't know. Personally, I I really hope that we see herbalists and like herb doctors and and people who are quite skilled starting to get more uh, standing, I guess you could say, or more more respect. Right. More, uh, yeah, 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 totally. I totally agree. Yeah, that happens. Keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah, you, you can only just wait and see, really. I mean, that's all you can do. It's like watching the plants grow. You just wait and see what will happen now. So yeah. it's been changed. Let's see if this makes a difference. <laughs> yeah. If it gets enough rain and sun, it might. It might. It might take root. That would be a nice thing. Uh -huh. You with me? So you continued on. Did you end up going to school for herbs then, or no? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, people ask me that all the time. I go, no. Um, you know, I uh, continued with, uh, you know, hanging out with my dad after my grandmother died. And my grandmother's real heyday was actually before I was even born, when she was younger. Yeah. Um, by the time I was coming along, she was on the retirement end of everything. And and um, midwifery had been made uh, illegal in the state of Alabama. So, you know, she was kind of like not practicing anymore. And yeah. So I was kind of on the tail end of opportunities to study with her and my grandfather. So... Um, my dad, after she died, my dad kind of picked up, um, and he was good in the woods, and he knew plants. Um, and, and as I write in my book, my, my dad could do a thousand things with ginseng. You got a cold? Oh, take this much ginseng. Uh, you got menstrual cramps? Take this much ginseng. You got this? <laughs> take this much ginseng. Um, because he really, really knew the plant. Yeah. You know, he was the supreme simpler, and so was my grandmother. They they could take one plant, and because plants are so phytochemically variable yeah. and complex, that's it's really true that one plant can do a lot of things. 
So in my classes, I, I teach my students, it's better to know everything 10 plants can do than know one thing 100 plants can do. Yeah. So much better. That That is seems very wise, especially if you're working with 10 plants that you can find in the area that you live and practice in. Live in. That's right. Yeah. And that's the art of sampling, and they were supreme in that, and that's what I was taught. So I, um, after, after that, and I got a little older, and, you know, I was, um, had various avenues of study. Um, Ex-father-in-law, or deceased father-in-law. He was an ex before he was deceased. But anyway, influential in my life was a chiropractor, and he was absolutely Friggin' amazing. Can I say friggin'? Friggin' yes. amazing. Yes, we're just, um, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> right? Uh, and um, he, uh, he could just look at somebody's spine and tell them what was wrong with them. Wow. He would just have people come in and take off their shirt or their blouse and in, in privacy and face the wall. And he would just look at their spine. He, he really taught me how important nutrition was because he really believed you had to nourish the nerves and nourish the body uh, for it to work properly and he plied me with all sorts of nutrition textbooks and conversations around nutrition and he was the one that told me you know if you don't have good nutrition if you don't have this foundation of nutritional wellness in your body the more herbs are not going to do their job you have to give them something to work with yeah right yeah, yeah. Uh, right um so herbs are are not nutritionally dense they're phytochemically dense food that we grow in our garden is nutritionally dense but not necessarily phytochemically dense it, it, we grow them for two different reasons and wild plants are the best of all because they've been growing, having to deal with herbis with attacks by fungus, attacks by viruses, attacks by bacteria, not enough water, too much water, not enough sun, too much sun. And they produce these amazing, wonderful healing phytochemicals as their response, is their stress response. Yeah. So when we coddle an herb, we take away its good medicine. Yeah. Um, but garden vegetables, we have had a relationship with for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and they have to be coddled. Yeah. They need us as much they, as we need them. Yeah. They won't survive on their own without us. Um, and, and so it, that's the exchange. We coddle them, they get to reproduce, and we get all the good nutrition from them. Oh, man, that's such a pickup. you got to try this tiger tea from Sacred Blossom Farms. In fact, if you go to sacredblossomfarms.com right now and enter in real herb, all caps, 15, you can save 15% on your next order. Tell them that Practical Herbal sent you. And so, um, you know, it was a, a, a kind of a different view that he taught me. And then I studied with Tommy Bass. Um, and Tommy was probably one of the most 
well-known herbalist in the in the whole United States at the time, and uh, him and Dr. Christopher probably, yeah. depending on what part of the country you were in. Um, and but Tommy never studied with anybody. I mean, Tommy had no herb books in his house. Um, everything he learned was from another herbalist, and you know, and so that's how I learned. Right. Um, right. Um, so Tommy was, uh, he had been working in the woods and studying with some other herbalist or the other, he started when he was five. And uh, by the time he was in his early teens, he was seeing people on his own. And, and that's kind of what he did his whole life. I mean, he worked the cotton fields. Remember, remember you can't be an herbalist here at this time period and make any money. Right. Um, right. You have to have your other jobs. Um, and so, you know, like, like I had to work in the cotton fields, you know, my maternal grandfather had cotton and was a sharecropper. So we had to be in the cotton fields and, you know, Tommy grew up, he had to be in the cotton fields and he grew up almost always on food. And, um, for a while he was a, a fur trapper. Um, and then, and then he, uh, he logged. Um, he was a really good small appliance repair person. Uh, when you could still repair small appliances like toasters and ovens, you know, people still repair them in those days. Uh, lawnmowers and uh, bicycles. He was really good with a bicycle. Um, so, you know, he made some of his cash money doing these other kind of things. But at the heart of everything he did was herbalism and, and gathering the herbs both for himself, you know, and his clients and to sell to larger herb companies. And he was so well known with larger herb companies that they would just like call him or mail him a letter and say, can you get us this many pounds of skull cow, you know, <laughs> um, or can you get us this, this, this many pounds of, American ginseng, or can you get us this many pounds of black kawash, you know, whatever it was I needed. He was a reliable and dependable source and, a, and an ethical, a person who ethically harvested. He was like my grandparents. He knew you can't take it all. You've got to nurture it or it won't be there. Right. Um, but Tommy only ever studied, he had only ever studied with other people and he had his parents. He was second generation. English and Bass being an old English name. And so his parents, when they had immigrated to the United States, um, they brought some herbal recipes with them um, because his mom's family had been herbal folk herbalist in England. And so like uh, he had that foundation within his family that that his mom was had a certain amount of herbal knowledge. But, you know, they get, it's, these are different plants. And so, like, his parents came here. He was born here, and all his siblings were, were born in the States. But, and we had some plants here that the parents recognized from England. But there were so many others they didn't. Right. So yeah. his parents also had to learn the, the uh, plants in the woods. And so when Tommy was five, he started working for, for Aunt Molly Kirby, 
who is an African-American herbalist and midwife at the foot of the mountain, and Tommy lived at the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so um, she she just gotten so old and tired. She said she couldn't run walk up and down the mountains anymore to get the herbs, and nobody in her family wanted to learn. So she started paying Tommy um, to do it, to get her herbs, and teaching him at the same time. So he worked for her and learned for her, you know, as long as he could until she till she, basically she died. Yeah. And and so then Tommy took over, you know, basically he got her practice. And um, and his reputation just extended. So he became so well known that the Wall Street Journal, um, he was on the front page of the Wall Street <laughs> Journal two or three times. Oh, wow. Um, and, and that's pretty famous for an herbalist. And, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. That information is still there. And there are uh, quite a number of documentaries about him. And um, University of North Carolina did a couple of amazing books on him in his um, herbal use in his life. And so he's quite a well-documented herbalist, probably. Uh, one of the more docu- well-documented ones in this country, especially during his time period. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, uh, And he's one of the reasons that I do believe that in Alabama, um, Southern folk medicine has remained active. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm amazed that it has, considering how modern medicine really did a great job of stomping out a lot. And then it's it's been coming back, but there's a long period of time where it was conventional medicine or nothing, you know. Well, in other parts of the country, and this is what I've, yeah. I've said to um, several times at herbal conferences uh, about the herbal renaissance. I was like, first time I heard that, oh, we have an herbal renaissance. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> I, I, and I was asking that in all honesty. And I said, well, you know, these people are bringing back the use of herbs to the country. And I was like, in the South, in 13 states in the South, it never went away. Right. Right? Yeah. It just, it's just that we just didn't care to share it. Yeah. Or tell anybody about it. It was held within families. It was, you know, somebody, nobody could afford to go to the doctor. So you had your home remedies. And so these were thought of more as home remedies rather than this title of herbalism. Yeah. Right. Now, almost everybody when I was growing up knew that if you're, if you had acid indigestion, you could go get some yellow root and chew on it and it would take care of it. If you had an ulcer or, um, if you have just a sour stomach, you could chew on a, you know, the leaf of a sourwood tree or, you know, so it was considered home remedies. And so to have this kind of title of herbalism, it was like what this, it was like a different context for me. Yeah. Um, it, and the first, yeah. It, it really, how, how your culture, I mean, how the traditions around you frame it, it really gives you a different connection. Right. So it, it had never gone away here. Yeah. Um, home remedies and roots had not ever stopped. 
definitely it slowed down, but it hadn't stopped. Not by a long ways and still hasn't, you know. Um, Is it picking up steam more there now? It, it never didn't have steam. I mean, I've been doing this, but I'm not going to say how many <laughs> thousands of years I've been doing this. Um, never had a problem. No, no. It, it, like I say, I think that what happened is it skipped a generation. Sometimes things skip yeah. generations, right? Yeah. And so, like it, I think it. Um, for for me, like my grandmother, my dad, me. You know, and I think there was this generation born right after me. Um, that was. Um, Herbalism, herbs were considered old-fashioned, not ineffective, and people would still do them. I, people would still say, do you have any catnip? My baby's got colic, you know. Um, people would still do them, but they were considered a little old-fashioned. And also there's another thing, like in parts of the South, is there are religious groups who still don't believe in conventional medicine. Mm-hmm. And they only want, or I mean, and that's a, a lot, a lot more people than you would think it would be. Oh, wow. Um, right. They, they're going to do an herb and be almost dead before they get to the doctor. Um, because <laughs> right. they're going to be praying too. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's a, a spiritual part of their spiritual practice because herbs is God's medicine. Yeah. And pharmaceutical is man's medicine. Big distinction. Big, yeah. Um, so in my, back to the original question, you know, I had this studies. I never conventionally studied herbalism or went to anybody's herb school uh, because I, you know, I had the folk tradition that I was following. And actually, it wasn't until, uh, don't laugh, it wasn't until I was actually in, I'm going to say around 40 that I realized there were there was an herbalist in the other part of the country and there was this herbal renaissance people were talking about <laughs> um, because I was just down here I'm seeing people I mean like one year when I was working with Tommy saw 3,000 people how many herbalists see that many people in a year that's that's a lot of people. It's like, that's a lot of people. That's like ten that's, a day. Yeah. 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 Easy. And when I opened my practice and put my shingle in Huntsville, which is a pretty big city, I always saw six to eight people a day, sometimes ten. Wow. Five and a half days a week. Wow. So I you get, can see it never really died here. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I got to tell you that I, I live in a town that's got a lot of herbs and herbal awareness. And that's, I mean, we're the like headquarters for Mountain Rose Herbs, for goodness sake. You know, we've got a mm-hmm. lot. Of, and putting out your shingle is not going to draw you that many. I mean, even if you're talking and giving walks and all of that, it's hard to make a living. Even if you're, you know, no matter what you're charging for, it's just hard to get people in the door here. Um, unless you're giving it away for free, but even then it can be really challenging because it's, there's a lot of Northern mentality here. So I can, yeah, that's what I can hear that. I mean, yeah. Um, so here, no, it's, 
like I say, it never really went away. Um, there is an acceptance here that I have not found in the rest of the country because I think one difference is that I've noticed when I traveled around, and I've traveled around a lot of states. I mean, I've traveled all over this country teaching and presenting at conferences and speaking at group schools. And generally, when that happens, you know, you're like talking to the choir, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You're Everybody that comes is somebody that's already been to study with this person, that person, gone to this school, that school, yeah. right? Yeah. Right? But here, it's like, you know, chicken farmers and truck drivers and... Nice. It's right? What, it's it's what we call the mainstreamers here. <laughs> yeah. It's just the people. Yeah. I've given, I've given talks in churches on herbs. Wow. Right? It's... So it's yeah. a... Now... It's a different acceptance. Yeah, that's um, I think something we dream of bringing back, and that's why we talk about things like herbal renaissance because we want we want to bring that back to our culture in the northern or in the other states. We want to do what you're doing. <laughs> well, you know what? You have to get out of the herbal community to do that. Yeah, and that's something that I don't know. It might piss somebody off for me to say this, but as long as you're only working within the choir and teaching to the choir, you're not going to get into mainstream. Yeah. So it's stepping, it's having the willingness to step outside your community. And, and maybe there's this feeling of, I won't be safe if I step outside my community. You know, at least if I'm um, got my doors open to other herbalists, there's a, there's a, a safety there yeah um and when you step outside and start talking to truck drivers and chicken farmers and first grade school teachers yeah you know, I've, maybe i've been seeing it in folks who aren't you know aren't part of the herbal community i've been seeing it opening up there's a long period when i when i was first beginning to study like a decade ago or two two decades ago not that long ago I feel old now, but <laughs> when I was first beginning to study, uh, there was a lot of um, hostility and resentment and anger if you started to talk about plants or diet as being a way to be healthier. That was just a that was a completely unacceptable conversation, and you know there were people that would get, you know, their houses egged and things like that. I didn't have that happen personally, but I heard, you know, some other friends at the time said that they, they had problems with that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And I, I remember that time period, um, you know, it was pre Deshay time period and um, Deshay regulations have really have clarify and change some of that. But I tell you, people still get upset if you talk about their diet and nutrition. There's yeah. nothing more personal. You, they'll talk to you about their sex life before they'll tell you about their diet. Yeah, or at least tell you about their diet with any honesty. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They'll tell you everything else. But there, there is this constant, and I don't even know what this attitude is, but it's like, I don't care if you judge me about anything else in my life, but you're not going to judge me about what I eat. 
Right. <laughs> because people have this feeling if they tell you, you're judging. Right. Um, right. So there's nothing more personal than talking about somebody's diet to them. Yes. And you always have to be very non-judgmental in session when I'm asking, what did you eat last night? And, and that's where I'm back to my chiropractic father-in-law. This is where the education really needs to come in. Yeah. Um, they'll, they'll accept herbs before they'll accept a change in their diet. Yeah. And the dietary change is every bit as important, if not more so, than the herbs. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I say, if, if, the, uh, if you're continuing to eat an offending substance like gluten, mm -hmm. how much, how, you know, it's a continual insult. How well are herbs going to work to reduce that inflammation and change the leaky gut? If you don't change your diet, it's not going to change. Right. 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 So um, we, we have to find a way to have a more openness and non-judgmental approach to diet um so and that's still going on that i don't know yeah something i continually think about and work you know try to figure out how to work on yeah we patrick um, and i live in a town where if you go to like a potluck say there's like going to be 10 various friends and family you have to like write out everything that was in that's in the food that you've brought all the ingredients right. whether they're organic um, and sometimes how it was processed and if it was processed in a kitchen that also has nuts or wheat or any of the other things, because everybody right. here has a different diet and everybody right. here believes their diet is the best diet on earth and everyone else should adopt their oh, diet. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's, that's what we come to. Yeah. It's this, um, militant and it really is kind of a militant philosophy about food, whatever your diet is. Yeah. It's like diet righteousness. It is. It is. And, and, and that's a huge uh, roadblock or block, huge blockade to good health. It is. You know, some, somewhere in all that is moderation and, and a, a better approach to healthiness. Um, so um, there's that. So anyway, um, back to the original question again. It <laughs> <laughs> is that. Um, no, I never did, but I, um, ended up doing a lot of other things because remember I can't make a living at being an herbalist, not, not until, not for a long time. Um, so, um, let's see what, I, you know, so I had all these other careers that kind of fed into herbalism later, you know, when I was going like, okay, I'm just going to put out a shingle now. I think, um, Here's a big town. I'll go over there. People have money. They might pay me kind of thought <laughs> because in, in my small town, they're still not. Right. And, and I lost clients when I said, I'm moving to Huntsville and I want to start charging. But yeah. because they were like, your grandma didn't have a charge. But anyway, um, you know, I was, uh, uh, athletic when I was younger and loved movement and, um, taught gymnastics and taught little, five-year-old's ballet and I taught jazz and jazz dance to little kids but I was a personal trainer and and was 
got my certificates in that to under you know understanding how the body moved which is is like just amazing um i uh, did all you know for years i worked in gyms and and uh, part-time you know did herbalism on the side um so just kind of a huge educational process in that yeah. along with that um, I've always believed in chiropractics, you know, um, and so, you know, I've always worked with that. I'm not a chiropractor, but I've always worked with chiropractors too. Um, and, um, so I, uh, kept, I worked in mental health, you know, I was working on a degree in psychology initially, excuse me, I worked in mental health. I did, oh, what did I, I did, uh, group sessions i did <laughs> intakes when people first walked in the door and said yeah you need to do this you need to do that um i did um um i was in charge of the indigent drug program um and i was a physician's assistant so here's this whole other level of training yeah. and back when i was a physician's assistant uh, you didn't have to have a degree and it, it's only been in the last few years that you do because the physician is responsible for you. Right. Right. Um, and so I was a physician's assistant and um, there were two physicians that I worked between and this was in mental health. Uh, and it was a, just like an amazing experience. And, but then one day I was like, you know, this is, I'm in charge of the indigent, indigent, oops, tongue tied, <laughs> drugs for the really poor people who have no money program. And uh, I'm the pharmacist assistant along with being a physician, um, you know, mm -hmm. and I was like, this, these aren't working. <laughs> I'm seeing all the really horrible side effects. Right. Right. I'm seeing the tardive dyskinesia. All right, so tardive dyskinesia is where like the muscles kind of freeze and people even have trouble walking and they have trouble speaking and there's no expression on their face. And how how can therapy even help someone yeah. like this? You can't even yeah, get through. So, um, so anyway, I had the good fortune of working with this uh, amazing team a therapist and um, he would he would study with some of the leaders in the field at their time and I don't even know how they all ended up in Alabama in the same mental health center at the same time but it it was like people would like pay to be part of that group and nice. some of the work that was being done and, and who they had studied with um, so that was just in addition to being you know working with the physicians being being part of this amazing group of people who were concerned about diet nice. and nutrition, who understood nice. that if you're missing key nutrients, your mind is not going to work well. Right. If your yeah. blood sugar is not functioning at normal levels, your mood is not going to be, your mind's not going to work well. And so here I get, to, I got to bring my nutritional work uh, studies in. And, and keep in mind, my nutritional studies were all at the knee of somebody else. They, these were not like going to school and learning nutrition. Um, yeah, I think is, actually the way you did it is probably the 
uh, more effective, let's say, way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean. You get the practical aspects. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is what works, and this is why we're doing it, and this is how the body works, and this is why we're doing it. Yeah. Um, right. And so I, I think I had that good fortune all the way through that that almost every job or or group of people or a person I got to work with or study with, it's like, this is what works, and this is why we're doing it. Skip the theory, honey. Yeah. You get lost in theory, but how do you make it practical? Um, how do you make it useful? Because bottom line, if it's not useful, if it doesn't help the person, what good is it? Right. Theory, right. theory, theory, right. right. Um, so, um, so anyway, I had all these other jobs, and um, I, I, I taught aerobics for twenty something years. Oh wow! I taught yoga for ten years. You know, yeah. I just did all these other things to help make a living. I, I would have three or four part-time jobs going all at the same time. Um, well, you know, so I could keep the herb stuff going. Um, but, but then, you know, it's then at a certain point, um, I um, got a job at um, Clayton College of Natural Health which was a true leader. I know it's often listed <laughs> and um, on the internet as a diploma mill. And it's unfortunate, but I, I will totally defend it because it was some of the best natural health information and a true leader of online education ever, ever. Right. And um, I was director of herbal studies there for 10 years. And, and, and while I was at uh, Clayton College, um, I invented the three-tier program of family herbalist, community herbalist, and that everybody's doing now. Yeah. Nobody, right? Nobody had that before. That was not, you were, you were a master herbalist. That's all anybody had. That was yeah. it. Yeah. Right? I, I like your program much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I initiated that at Clayton College and, you know, you could be a clinical herbalist. It was not uh, a fluffy program. Nice. Our herbal program was not fluffy. Um, it was tough. And people had to record their sessions and send in to me and they got reviewed in the third year. I mean, it was a serious program. Yeah. And it's like, I don't even... I don't even know an, another, uh, an online program today with um, the herbalists who are doing online that is, was as serious and as tuned in to training out practitioners as Clayton College was. But it just got this bad rep. Oh. Um, because <laughs> it offered, you know, yeah. It offered um, the degrees that were not state recognized. Yeah. Um, but I will say the information was amazing. The community was amazing. And I was so happy to have been there. Um, and so while I was there, they said, okay, you know, we know you're an herbalist, um, you know, you know, and this was in Birmingham. So still statewide, this is still how accepted herbalism is mm -hmm. in the South. And they uh, said, so we'd really, really like you to go get your, your um, bachelor's, I mean, your master's. 
So I had a bachelor's in psychology, a double in psychology and marketing and business and business, I should say. Um, and so I, um, at that point, started to and finished uh, the program at the University of Alabama uh, in health studies. So I have a master's um, in health studies. So you did eventually but, learn out. <laughs> well, letter. you know, I <laughs> no, I was I did get those initials after my name, but they were probably uh, they, they're really the least of the credentials. Exactly. I mean, honestly, exactly. Yeah. But in the meantime, you know, without those initials, I I worked in a medical clinic in Birmingham. Um, for two years, you know, three doctors. I was the herbalist nutritionist integrative clinic um it not having those initials never impeded me from interacting and progressing um my practice of herbalism are are the 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 practice of herbalism in a more culture-wide avenue right nice right so i don't think you have to have them those initials it hasn't hurt but because I didn't have them when I was working in the medical clinic right um I had my bachelor's but you know it was like yeah not even in the field I was practicing in um and I chose health studies because it kind of gave me an umbrella yeah yeah it could be anything but it wasn't necessary I'd already been a physician's assistant Right. I mean, yeah. Right. Uh, and so it's just different. It's just kind of a different culture. I even had one physician say to me once, he was a neurologist, big giant practice. He said, you know, you, you're, I would take you as a physician's assistant. And I'm like, yeah, but can you still do that? Cause he goes, yeah. Cause it, it, if I will sign off for you, I would, I would take you in a heartbeat, even though I don't have now, you know, they consider you have to have a master's to be a physician's assistant. Right. Um, right. Um, but if the doctor goes, this is what this person has already always done. And the physician said, will you take my physician assistant? You still get grandfathered because you were already doing it. You could still get grandfathered. Uh, yeah. So that was kind of the way it was working then. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's kind of like around, I guess, a roundabout way of my journey into kind of credentialing. Um, other things I've done is, let me see, I, um, uh, after Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, um, I was um, herbal director at Common Ground Medical Clinic for a couple of years. And... That was like an amazing experience. And there were four herbalists working um, with me. Um, And uh, they were just awesome. They were there every day. I wasn't there every day. And it was just this horrendous. I I mean, I mean, I could do a whole show on what it was like after Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans Um, when there was no food when there was no aid getting in and there was no water. And the first time I went there, I drove down there, 
head across Lake Pontchartrain, which is huge. I mean, it's like this long lake that you almost feel like you're going across the ocean uh, on a floating bridge because the bridge had been taken out. Okay. And, and the military had just come in and laid down this floating thing like really quick to get supplies into New Orleans by trucks. And the whole time I'm going over this bridge, I'm going, please, God, please, God, <laughs> please let me get on to the other side. Oh, okay. Because it was like moving with the waves and bouncing up and down. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. Oh my. It was like one of this, I'm like, die because I don't know how to swim. Um, but, you know, you do what you do. You just keep yeah. on going. And, and um, the Rachel and Jen and Wendy and, um, whoops, I'm forgetting one. I'll think of her in a minute. I can see her. Amy. Yeah. Um, were there day in and day out and really um, saw the um, the horror of it up close every single day. Um, you know, and, and me as director, I was there regularly, um, but not every single day. And it, it was just amazing what herbalism could do and talk about a really true integrated clinic. Mm-hmm. That was one immediately after New Orleans where there was a, yeah. a MD as a clinical director. There was a nurse practitioner. There was a social worker. There was a massage therapist. There was an acupuncturist. There was a chiropractor. There was a licensed professional counselor. And there were herbalists. Wow. That is actually and, really impressive. And it was like just amazing. It was like hard. It was really hard. Um, there was a lot of, of um, oh, I had to learn a lot about social justice in a real heartbeat mm. because there was so much social injustice going on there. Yeah. In that time period, um, and and definitely hypocrisy and bigotry and violence, you know, you didn't even want to go out unless there were like five or six of you. You didn't, you didn't even like walk mm. at, out at night because of violence. The murder rate was so high and the rape rate was so high and yeah. it, it was a different world. Yeah. But everybody hung in there, you know, to help people. So many people were living in their cars. Yeah. regardless of race because your house is gone mm-hmm. and and your your house insurance is not going to pay or if your house is still standing nobody wants to buy it and you can't make the payments because there are no jobs right right yeah. um, and what jobs they are guess what they're going to bring people in from out of state to do them instead of giving to local people right it was it was really tough it was really tough medically socially economically yeah yeah intense it was tough yeah intense it was an it was an intense time to be an herbalist in a city yeah really was so um you know a lot of my uh, so that's kind of like most of what i've kind of done um 
kind of in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) A very large nutshell. You have done a lot. It's very eclectic. (laughs) That's um, like three lifetimes right there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so you've got this book, Southern Folk Medicine. People should read it. Thank you. Can they get it from your website? No. Is Amazon? They should just go to Amazon. Is that the best best way for you? Yes, that's the best at this moment. Um, I cannot be, beat Amazon's price. <laughs> so it it's like one of these things that happens to authors, yeah. Yeah. right? Yes. Um, even buying my own book from the publisher at the discount I can. By the time I ship it to yeah. somebody, they're paying a lot more than they can get it for on Amazon. Okay. So we'll, we'll make sure that we include links for for that. Where can people get a hold of you? Uh, my website, um, phyllisdlight.com. And, and for everybody who's just hearing Phyllis D. Light, it's like D is my middle initial. Yes. I thought that was absolutely <laughs> delightful. <laughs> so horrible. No pun intended. <laughs> 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 Why would you end the show with a bad pun? I have to say, I was, I've was i been fascinated with your name. A lot of herbalists seem to have names that I wonder if they were really given to them or if they picked them up, you know. Like, oh, well, this is my family name. My daddy was Stancelite. My mother was, wait, wait for it, wait for it. She was a bright before she married my daddy, who was a light. So her name... <laughs> was Esther Pauline Brightlight. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that is no joke. That is true. So um, in the heyday of her family reunions here in town, there'd be like 200 people. Oh, wow. All lights. Oh, kind of a family reunion from, from the town. <laughs> people don't like to go to family reunions much anymore. So I think there was only like 75 last year, somewhere in there. But yes, light is my true original name that is cool my grandmother was rosie lot my granddaddy was Harmon lot i love it i love it and so d is my middle initial just to kind of to be clear to be clear and you have facebook also right i have facebook and i am learning instagram so stay tuned. All right. I will be on Instagram. And uh, yeah, but my website is a good place. Okay. We will make sure yeah. we get those links in the show notes. Thank you so very much, Phyllis, okay. for being with us today. Yep. And as always, put, put an herb on it. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials 
questions or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.